as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi, everyone. It's Sarah Cunningham here. I'm the VicTAS Continuing Education Coordinator at Speech Pathology Australia. Today, it is my great pleasure to be talking to Rosie Martin. Rosie is the founder of Connect42, a speech pathologist, a criminologist, and a courage facilitator. Welcome, Rosie, and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Reading through the Connect42 website and the recent 2021 Circle of Security blog, I'm really in awe of everything that you're doing, Rosie. You're building connections and empowering adults to provide critically needed language and literacy resources and programs. I think there's so much that we could talk about today, really. But I thought we'd start with your 2017 Tasmanian Australian of the Year. You were nationally recognised for your just time, your work on the Just Time programs in prisons. Can you tell us a little bit more about this program? Thank you, Sarah. Yes, I'd love to. So in 2014, I uh, had already been working in the prison teaching men to read, and we had some really staggering and wonderful results with the speed at which some of the guys picked up and um, and the progress that they made. And somebody put me forward for the award, and I, I don't know to this day who that was. Um, they remained anonymous. But at the same time that that was all happening alongside of it, um, because I'd made relationships with key people in the prison, um, it also gave me the opportunity to inquire whether we might be able to run um, the Circle of Security parent DVD program in the prison. So that was way back in 2014. And uh, and so I did that together with the family reintegration officer at the prison. And we just, we, we, we saw an amazing result. We saw this group of eight women really empowered about how they could change and what they might be able to do as parents and having ideas about who they'd love to do this program with and who they'd love to share this information with and um, just creating, it created hope that that they could change, that they could see shifts in their relationships with their children and not only with their children, but with other people as well. So they were so delighted by that. And so we felt it to be really very successful and we interviewed them and I interviewed the um, prison reintegration officer um, and, you know, there was enough clear data there to say, well, let's do this again. And then I had I had a philanthropist. I actually just met her quite by chance, really, um, who uh, gave us a few thousand dollars to run a few more programs and then a few more and then a few more. And then it transpired that that award came about. And of course, then suddenly I had a different level of publicity than just doing my work quietly away in the prison and um, people were talking about it and people were interested to know about it. So amidst all of that um, 
extra uh, awareness that was happening. You know, I was also talking to politicians and wanting to connect the bigger picture of this work to the influence that they have and obviously the, the power that they have. And so, um, you know, those conversations in the midst of all of this led to opportunity to receive government funding. So for the since 2018, our Just Time program has been operating on state government funding. And uh, it's been amazing because we've been able to roll out 15 programs per year since that time. And now we're running the Just Time program um, in the women's prison five times a year. We're running it in minimum security men's five times a year and in medium security men's five times a year. We've just received funding, even in spite of all of the COVID chaos, um, to be running it again this year. And then that's leading on to something else, which I'm really excited to talk about. Because one of the things that I have found across these years is that um, particularly journalists ask me this question, philanthropists that we've engaged with ask me this question and others ask me this question, but what happens when the people leave prison? So they've done this great program in prison, but then what happens? And my answer up until this point in time has been, well, gosh, we really want to be able to keep working with them when they leave prison. And there's, from the criminological literatures, there's really clear evidence that continuing to work with people in the trusted relationships that they've formed in prison when they leave prison is a really powerful support for desistance from crime. But we haven't been able to do that because we haven't had the funding to do it and we haven't had the capacity. Um, as a result, we haven't had the capacity to volunteer professional services to that. And in any case, we do think that it should be paid for. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it is professional service. But um, the great news is that we've received in the middle of last year, we had notification that we have received $400,000 toward a project across three years, where we'll work with 15 participants who have done the Just Time program in prison as they leave prison. And it's being specifically crafted that we'll work with them on their speech, their language, their literacy, their connection with their children, um, parent-child play coaching, their children's literacy, uh, their interactions with, you know, um, we'll run the circle of security for them again when they're back in community, if that's what they want. So they'll have a lot of agency to select the particular uh process, the way that that program of support will look for them. Um, it'll be based on their felt need, co-created with, um, you know, with obviously the professional skills that the speech pathologist will uh, will bring to that and some of the professional assessments that we will do. But we won't be specifying, you know, you have to do this. It'll be a, a lovely co-creation of um, response to professional identification of need and, and their personal choice and agency. I think that's what was so lovely when I was chatting to you yesterday to know that these men and women are able to like they they they're saying this is what we want we want to connect with this program we want to keep doing this and I think that's so powerful to have that choice and that voice so we do know that this is such a time of transition and that these men and women are able to collaborate with you. They've been working with you in the Just Time program and now have this great opportunity to be a part of the Just Moving On program, which is your, your newest work, I suppose. Mm, that's right. It takes the trust that's formed from that reflective dialogue connection that grows in the, uh, the Just Time program, which uses the circle of security. And, uh, and from that trust... 
um, people feel confident to ask us about all sorts of things. And when they realise that we have skills to be able to support them in their literacy and language, to support their social communication, to support their children, to support their relationship with their children through play coaching and, and other such. They, this, this is what they're just, they're up for it immediately. And um, the criminological literature shows that with that trust coming through from prison, that we're more likely to be able to keep the traction of that relationship on when beyond the prison gate. And so we're really interested to explore this space. It's a pilot project, but you know it brings together lots of evidences from other places. So while it's innovative, it's drawing on evidence in the creation of that new piece of work. And we are really filled with hope about what it will reveal to us and what we'll learn from it. So we're very grateful to our funders who are the Tasmanian Community Fund for placing trust in us and having the courage to jump into this space, which really could be a game changer for people leaving prison. We could show some really important things about how to support desistance from crime and recidivism as well as um, as well as about human rights and enablement and empowering and flourishing. Yes, I think when I was listening to your um, 2021 blog post on the circles of security, it really resonated with me looking at working with the circles of security program you're giving the men and women that you're working with the language and then and access to those concepts so it's really empowering them to have the language to nominate what they need and what they want and where they how they want to develop which is incredible I think it really is. It's just lovely. And we do say when we're running that program with them, if they come back to us with, uh, you know, expressing, you know, their connection with their child in a particular way, in their idiomatic way, we'll always come back and say, now, that was wonderful. Can you tell me again using circle language so that we really embed for them that vocabulary and the concepts that they can then just keep coming back to efficiently in their own thinking and minds, but also efficiently to be able to share that with their children and with others that are connected with them and their children so yeah it gives it gives language and and it gives um uh it, it people feel seen and because it's reflective they share really quite vulnerable things but doing that in trust then grows the trust so it's very it's beautiful and it's powerful for change and across the generations. So it supports the participants who are with us in the room to um, make self-identity changes themselves and to think of themselves differently and with compassion. But then of course that flows through to their interactions with their children. And so then it's crossing the generation to be able to bring um, greater opportunity to the next generation to be a circuit breaker on some of those other things that have been such negative influences in their lives. Changing that cycle, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Breaking the cycle. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in, t- in November 2018, the 100% Literacy Campaign was born. Could you tell me a little bit more about this? 
With pleasure. So uh, this came off the back of the 2017 award. Uh, one of the uh, members of my board suggested to me, why don't we have a conference that is a high level conference that crosses, you know, government and agencies and brings a group of people together. And with my interest and skills working as a facilitator of uh, reflective dialogue process, I immediately thought, mm, what about not conference, but a reflective dialogue on this wicked problem of um, entrenched literacy disadvantage in our state here in Tasmania, well, across the nation, as we know, but um, but here in Tasmania, just a little bit worse. And so we brought together and uh, the... Um, the patron of our charity is uh, Her Excellency, our wonderful governor here in Tasmania. And so she hosted the event at Government House. So that was incredible. And of course, it immediately brought a lovely prestige to the program. And so we invited a really diverse group of people. So people from the university, from government, from the agencies, grassroots level um, teachers and uh, practitioners, other speech pathologists, consumers of the services. They had a couple of the guys that I taught to read as adults were there, parents of children with dyslexia um, and other language and literacy challenges, huge range of Tasmanians from across the entire state to come together and to sit together with story about how literacy disadvantages uh, how they each engage with the problem of literacy disadvantages. And so we got to share and hear each other's stories in really powerful ways. And then at the end of that day, it wasn't me and it wasn't us, Connect42, that birthed that 100% literacy. It was what that group of people said after sitting with this problem across the course of the day. They just went, you know, why would we settle for anything less than 100% literacy for Tasmanians. That is what we want. We don't want a target that says we're going to, you know, increase the literacy levels by 10% across 10 years or whatever. Um, we want 100% literacy for Tasmanians. So it was, wasn't our language. It was the language of the people, if you will. And uh, so we've just continued to, uh, you know, to use that um, hashtag. And, and obviously it is one amongst many other hashtags and campaign types that are, is really devoted to and focused on making the shifts in literacy enablement that we know as speech pathologists absolutely possible. Um, so supporting conversations and questions into those that have the power for making change, into the agencies, into the way that literacy is taught, into giving voice to uh, children and to young people and parents uh, who have come into close contact with language and literacy problems, giving voice to people who, because of uh, social inequity and disadvantage, haven't had opportunity to learn to read, maybe the violence of their histories has um, stifled that. Uh, so giving voice to all of these, this is all part of that campaign. We want to raise awareness and just join our voice with the many others that are operating in this space. But we feel very privileged that our wonderful governor, um, who who could also, could also see it and uh, you know, gave opportunity for that to happen. She did it twice, actually. We've had two of those events. Oh, that's fantastic. And mm. I guess if we're wanting to follow that journey more, it's hashtag 100 P-E-R-C-E-N-T literacy that we can follow that campaign, which is fantastic. Rosie, in your email signature, you have the following quote, that if people can't speak out, they'll act out. And for some, that acting out tips over into crime. Solutions lie in helping people to speak out. 
I think this is a really powerful reminder for us as clinicians um, and to really carry with us and think about the voice we're giving to the clients that we work with. Do you have any further take-home messages for us today? Oh, thank you, Sarah. Um, the other one that kind of pairs up with that little quote, so that that, that quote, um, you know, I guess has just emerged for me because that's we know our work as speech pathologists' solutions lie in helping people to speak out. But there's a quote by Bruce Barton, who is an American author and congressman in the first half in the first half of the last century. Um, and he said this, he said, talkers have always ruled. They will continue to rule. The smart thing is to join them. And I just think as speech pathologists, we have skills and knowledge and understanding about how to help people join the power that talkers have. And it's work of enormous privilege. And I think it's work that the world needs. I doubt Bruce Barton was thinking about um, supporting people whose communication skills are impaired for any reason. But nevertheless, we know that those whose communication skills are impaired for whatever reason, we know we can support them to um, do better, to make progress, and that that's powerful for their lives. But actually this whole piece about our profession being supportive of the skills of communication generally and emotional regulation, this is what the world needs now to enable us to tackle our wicked problems and we as speech pathologists have insight and skill about how we connect as human beings and how we can how we can support that and be part of that so i think it's such an exciting time for our profession um, you know we've got so much to offer and uh, and it's just all privileged to offer it yes Goodness, Rosie, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your knowledge and your journey with us. I think it's been so interesting for me to learn more about the work you're doing and I'm sure that you're going to inspire many more of us um, to, to continue to think how we can grow, grow our work. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.